Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Elise Stevenson, who is the Artistic Director of Taking Flight Theatre Company. Hi Elise, how are you? Hi Kieran, I'm good, thank you, all things considered. It's boiling, it's so hot today. So lovely today, such fantastic weather. I think it's going to be dry for a few days as well. Oh. It's supposed to be the hottest Easter weekend in like for ages, so uh, wow. I'll be out in the garden. Yeah, me too. Um, how, how are you coping with this pandemic? Then? Well, you know, I think you've just got to, you've got to ride with it really and, and do what you're told and, and do, do, do your bit and trust that everybody knows what they're doing. Um, I'm, I'm doing alright actually, uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, You're still able to do some kind of work on that project, even though that you can't be. Yeah, that's what it's exactly. Yeah. Great. Uh, I want to start at the beginning and ask you, how did you first get interested in theatre, and what were your theatrical experiences as as a child and a young person? But you didn't really consider acting until then. It was always dance for you up until that point. Yeah, I didn't. I think I really. I don't think I really realised what acting was really. Um, I kind of just I danced, and that was that was it really till then. And you went to the University of Warwick um, after finishing school. 
Um, I did, yes. What did that course give you as an emerging artist? So, um, I don't think my school really knew what to do with me because I wanted to do theatre and they were like, oh, I went to a very academic school and they didn't really know what that mm. meant. So, the idea of drama school wasn't really floated much around. It was university was kind of where you went. So, uh, I went to Warwick, very excited to go. I think I thought it would be more practical than it was, it, even though I think they explained very clearly that it wasn't in my head, it was going to be more practical. But it was a lot of theory, um, and then I did a lot of the practical stuff kind of with the various societies that, mm-hmm. that were there, because there were loads of, of societies. But what it did give me was a really, really good grounding in theatre from back in Roman times all the way through till today. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was was really good. And also looking at all the different theatre styles, it, albeit in a theoretical way, it gave me a really good grounding in that. And also I had some amazing teachers when I did the community theatre modules and theatre education modules like um, Clive Barker, who wrote the very famous theatre games, and uh, Jonathan yeah. Nealands and people, I don't think I really realised when they were teaching me how influential they were in the same but uh, I, I had the opportunity to work with some fantastic people and that those particular courses have really influenced a lot of what a lot of what I do and have done since so um, although it wasn't necessarily it wasn't acting training it gave me a really good grounding in the theatre world and at the time did you kind of realise that those skills would be beneficial to you those skills in terms of facilitation and things like that that you would use those after after uni? Um, no, I left uni not thinking I wanted to do anything to do with theatre at all. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to go anywhere near a theatre, really. I, so I sort of spent a year not really knowing what I was doing, and then halfway through that year, decided that actually maybe I did want to do theatre, and went to drama school. So I went to drama school in Birmingham and did a diploma Um, I loved teaching. It was in a tough school that I was working in at the time. 
but I enjoyed working with young people. And so in my head, I thought if I can marry this working participatory mm. element of theatre and this desire I still had to perform, then I'd be happy. But I kind of had to go through the, all those processes in order to work out what it was I wanted to do. And sometimes it is about the journey and maybe something you thought you wanted to do um, a couple of years back, yeah. you then realise, oh, actually, I want to do this thing. I think one of the things that education does really badly is it asks kids at 16, 17 to choose something they want to do for the rest of their lives. Um, and it's like, oh, you've picked that, now you've got to stick to it because those are the A-levels you're doing. That's what you're going to do yeah. for the rest of your life. Yeah, I think that's really true, Kieran. I think it's, it's really quite, it feels quite limiting and uh, and also it's difficult then if you decide you want you want to go in a different direction because it's like, oh, but my plan was this and, and I want to do and that. Oh, I don't know. And that's quite confusing. Um, but kind of going the way that, that I went through it in a kind of, I didn't go straight into acting, I went round through university and then drama yeah. school and teaching and it kind of made me realise that it, that theatre and a, perform- a career in performing or career in theatre wasn't just acting. So I was quite fortunate in that I knew about the other sides yeah. of, of, of how it all worked and particularly the, the facilitation and participatory side of it as well. And as an actor you toured quite extensively. Um, what did you enjoy from those experiences and what was tough, what was difficult about it? Uh, let's uh, start with the positives first then. Uh, so I, did, I toured pretty much for 10 years, quite extensively, uh, uh, in the UK. I didn't, didn't manage to do the international thing, which was a shame. Mm. Um, but I yeah, was living out of a suitcase for a lot of the time. So I was like touring and teaching my teaching then became a fallback supply work in between touring jobs but I didn't have to do it that I was really lucky I was also very fortunate that I was a very specific type being four foot ten and looking very young at that time that the the roles for young for children could come knocking on my door so I was quite fortunate that I had that um, that to my advantage Um, and I made some amazing friends I learned loads about myself and how I reacted in really quite stressful situations. And I think that's where I got my problem-solving head. As in, yeah. when, you're, when you're on tour, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter how supportive the company is you're working for, when you're on tour, you have to make some decisions sometimes quite quickly because, you know, you are the company. And particularly the companies that I was working for, they were quite small, um, and it was sometimes hard to get hold of people. You had to, you had to find a creative way out of situations. And... Um, so I think that's that's where that's kind of it's it's made me who I am and that those touring experiences and also and being away from home for so long and all yeah. of that it's tough it's it's t- it's 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 a tough gig it's a tough gig touring yeah. people think it's glamorous you know uh, and, it, and it wasn't but it was amazing and it was amazing and so hard at the same time and and was it kind of mainly um. TIE or was it a variety of pieces, a range of stuff? Yeah, you can carry on, sorry, I interrupted you. Was it more of a range of stuff that you toured? So I did, I did all sorts of different things. 
things from work with big community casts uh, to some TIE work, um, and then uh, big um, like shows for children, family shows for children that were going to into large scale venues. And then I did some, some show, shows for more grown up. That sounds dodgy, doesn't it? Mm. But for um, <laughs> like not for children, like like Tom and Glory, for example, not for children. Um, that toured to again mid scale venues, and then I did some rep work. Like I worked at Nottingham Playhouse and um, toured from there, and then did some number one venue with um, shows that had come out of the repertory theatre. So I had right. a real, real different variety of experience. Yeah, um, really lucky. Really. Uh, and how then did you become interested in directing? So I'm quite organic in the way that mm. I work, 
what I do have from all the training that I've done now is a really lovely toolkit of ways that I can approach a text. And it might be that it's a slightly more cerebral approach, or it might be that it comes more from a clowning aspect, or more from a physical theory aspect, or in various different ways. But it, it really, it, I'm not the kind of director that's like, on this day I do this, and then on this day I do okay. this, and then by this day I will have done that. It can be quite <laughs> but it works for me. And I suppose you've got to kind of adapt process anyway, because every day is a different day. Yeah. You've got different actors, different pieces, and they're going to have a different way in which they work and what works for them as actors, which if you've got a set process, that might not be compatible with the way that you work as a director. And I wanted to ask you as well, um, has your background as an actor helped you to develop as a director? Um, insofar as I worked with some fabulous directors when I was an actor, so I learned I learned from them. I didn't know that that was going to be influencing me as a director at the time because I was working as an actor, but I really learned a lot from them about the processes that they used. So. I, in that respect, yeah, absolutely. It's re it really fed into the way that um, to some of the processes that I use now, and also having that experience of, of having been a performer and knowing how tough it is on the road, and knowing how what a hard job it is, and how much is asked of you, and also that there is a time in the rehearsal space when we all hit the wall. You know, we 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 all find certain days when we're just going I don't know why I'm doing this job I don't know why they picked me I don't mm. know I can't do it can't do it anymore never doing it again that's it you know writers have this anybody oh yeah this thing. <laughs> I you can know? identify with that yeah but, but getting through that and remembering why we do this stuff why we're crazy enough to want to do this for a living and I think yeah, you really important to remind yourself of that. Uh, how did you first become interested in inclusive and disability arts? So, Beth, Beth House and I uh, co-founded Taking Flight in 2007. And it was after a workshop, a week-long residential workshop in West Wales with a charity called The Backup Trust for spinally injured adults. Um, Beth and I had worked together on, on a number of projects before, um, both in Wales and in Birmingham, and, and our paths kept crossing. Uh, and then she gave me a ring one day during this workshop, did I want to, to, to run it with her? Um, and we did, but we were terrified. We were absolutely terrified of um, upsetting participants, saying the wrong thing, mm. being insensitive, uh, and just generally getting it wrong. And we spoke very honestly to the group about that and they were really reassuring um, and and it was one of the most uh, life-changing weeks I think of, of my life for sure uh, and you know during that week we chatted to some of the participants about um, how how they felt about the theatre world and drama and then some of them mentioned that they thought that you know it wasn't accessible to them both in terms of an audience member or in uh, or being on the stage or even being mm. backstage that, that well, there wasn't anything there 
Um, and some of them also mentioned that they felt there was quite a lot of provision for the learning disabled community, but not so much for um, the physically disabled yeah. community as such. But the wrong words to say to use, probably, but that kind of yeah, I knew, um, yeah. They felt that they, you know what I mean, that they yeah. felt that they didn't have as much provision there for learning or, and training, or maybe not as much opportunity. Um, and so that's so Beth and I at the same time went for a little walk around the Stackpole Estate, which is stunning and beautiful in West Wales. And I've just been working up in Scotland with a company called Theatre Wild, where we've been doing Shakespeare on the edge of mountains and in locks and uh, all over the place in the wild. Wow. And so that was still in my head quite, quite. And as we were walking around, we both were really struck by how you could make something really amazing promenade Shakespeare mm. in in this estate because it was really accessible as well so it was wheelchair accessible um, and we thought this would be great why don't we marry these two things that we've suddenly become interested in and apply for some funding to do a show and we did and we got it and then we had to do it which kind of how Take It Right started yeah. um, that show was then formed there were some people in the audience who then wanted to uh, to take that on for the next year so then we did a tour the next year and then it has just carried on since then I don't think in 2007 we had any idea that we would still be here today and that Taking Flight would be as big as it was so we didn't really it wasn't a question of, go, of having a massive interest in disability arts it was more that we wanted to create work that didn't exclude anybody yeah so that's how the company that's kind of came important out. And, and that was your aim then when you started to make work that didn't exclude anybody. But do you think that aim has changed or altered in the last 12 years since you started taking flight? I still think that is at the core of what, what we, we do. I think we're probably more, well, we are more passionate uh, and we are... Um, and we push harder for our voices to be heard, to level that playing field a bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know more what we're talking about now after 12 years, but the aim is still to sort of smash down those barriers to um, participation in the arts. So placing positive role models on the stage and challenging the um, challenging preconceived ideas about who can make art and who can't make art and who uh, and making sure that as many people as possible can access the art and finding creative ways to do that so i think that the passion has just grown i don't think the aim has changed i just think it's it's developed yeah and i suppose you've learned by kind of trial and error things that work and things that don't work and develop your practice in that respect I think everyone has to do that creatively. If you if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. Um, I'd yeah, absolutely. I'd like to talk next about real human being, which was a play by oh, yeah. Matt Bogo that was the taking flag commissioned in twenty twelve, which was about disability hate crime. So how did that collaboration come about, first of all? So it was a, a collaboration.
situation between Disability Wales and Safety Flight, um, and uh, Disability Wales wanted to create a piece of theatre about disability hate crime. And their Miranda had seen some forum theatre and want, and thought that it worked really well uh, as, a, as a technique and as a style and thought it would work really well looking at the topic of disability hate crime. And so we applied for some funding, lots of funding from the Home Office initially to develop a piece of forum theatre. And um, we, uh, I asked, oh, I asked a number of people for some recommendations uh, of playwrights who would be good to, to, to write mm -hmm. Real Human Being, not that it had a name then. And Matthew was recommended. And we went out together, Matthew and myself, um, with Disability Wales, out into the community and spoke to various groups uh, to get their personal experiences of hate crime um, mm. and Matthew used all of those personal experiences in in the show so it, it was unfortunately because it's a really hard-hitting and, and quite um, upsetting piece of theatre unfortunately all those things that I mentioned were actually things that we that were true they were true stories and, and I guess you have to be careful then both as a writer and as a director to represent those people's stories accurately on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and which is why the Matthew brilliantly took a lot of these stories and, and made them one, two people's stories, really. So there were, the two, there were two disabled characters in the piece, um, Alice and Tom, and... Tom talked quite a lot about his experiences and things that had happened to him, and those were generally stories that we had heard firsthand from people. Mm. Um, and it was a really sensitively written piece of, of theatre that Matthew put together. And he very much did it from the point of view of um, the bystander, so so not the, not the instigator of the hate crime and not the person who was the victim of the hate crime, but the person who does nothing. And we thought yeah. that was really important because it was touring to schools and we thought you know most people most people aren't the instigators and hopefully most people aren't the victims but the person that these young people might be able to identify with would be their bystander so what yeah. we wanted to do was was to create a, a situation through forum theatre that they could um, feel empowered to explore the ways that they could intervene or and to, to you know um intervene in the situation that happened during the, the show which didn't have a very good didn't have a very good ending mm. um, and things that they could choose to do differently they could advise the characters or take over the role of the characters in order to allow them to try out ways that they could create a different end result uh, and, it, uh, and it I mean it was facilitated brilliantly throughout the, mm. the many years that it, that it went out um, and the young people got huge did the play change at all from 2012 to 2017? Did you feel that you had to adapt the piece as time went on? Yeah, it changed every time actually. Um, it changed depending on the cast. Because mm. um, when Matthew first wrote it, uh, we knew who the, first cast were going, who the first cast was going to be. And so it was very specific to those performers. And then as the casting changed, which it did every year, it, he would rewrite the piece so it, it fitted in with with that, and also taking on board things that had maybe 
uh, been brought up during the previous tour. Uh, so, so feedback, we'd also feed it in if, if we felt that was necessary to make a few tweaks and changes. And then we just would update the music as well to try oh, okay. keep it a bit more current. But yeah, Nancy was very much involved, he's been really involved in from the first show and then he's been involved in the development of the script the whole way through. And what was the response you got from schools and from the places that you took it? The show itself is, is really hard-hitting and the response from the, the people that saw it was overwhelmingly positive in the sense that it, they, were, they were really moved by it mm-hmm. uh, and moved and shocked that the kind of thing that they were seeing on the stage could actually happen. Um, and wanting to find ways to make a difference, to make a positive change and difference. So the uh, the response from real human being was was it was always quite overwhelming actually um, in how much the young people could see the injustice of what was going on and didn't want to be the bystander that did nothing. Yeah, and and you'd hope. That that would have an, an impact on how those young people might act or behave if they encountered that type of situation. Um, yeah, absolutely. Taking flight has also got a really kind of rich tradition of producing touring, site specific theatre, uh, Shakespeare productions. Um, what, what are the challenges of making Shakespeare? accessible not only to deaf and disabled performers but also to a contemporary audience so um, yeah as as i mentioned before that's how we started was doing an outdoor shakespeare um so that's quite a few questions there um the way that we'd approach Shakespeare text wouldn't be to, to modernise it, the language would still stay the same, but to find a, a world within that that piece of theatre, so find a world within that story, so for example As You Like It was very much uh, in my head, kind of a it was connected with the kind of fairground and that kind of world and uh, with Romeo and Juliet we moved it to be connected with um the school system and in the 1960s so you know we would we, we play around as you can with Shakespeare and yeah. everybody does this I'm not inventing a wheel here but by by doing that and making it a whole world and we would also from the minute you arrived you would be part of the world that, that we were creating so for example in the Tempest you would get your ticket to get on the boat that would then take you it wasn't your boat but which would then take you to where you were going to start the show so we were trying to immerse people in that whole world so it became a whole theatrical experience it wasn't a um, come in, take your seat, sit quietly in the dark and watch a show because that's mm. not the kind of work that we ever make actually but in particular the outdoor Shakespeare stuff was it was a symbiotic uh, thing it was a, a real relationship between the audience and the performers which is one of the things that going back to what I learned when I was at university one of the things I felt really strongly about is that theatre should be for everybody yeah. and it should be uh, a, a connecting a, a, something that connects us together mm. um, that's, a, that's a shared journey so I guess in, in making things 
relevant to a contemporary audience. It was just, it's a lot in that. It's to do with what we put on the stage and and how visual the work that we did was and it, that lots of people commented on how they could follow it really easily because it was so visual and there were yeah. improvisations in there and there were songs and lots of things to bring a text that possibly in the past they may have found uh, they may have had to read it at school, which yeah. is, it's a play, let's not read it down, let's get it up and performed. So, you know, we're fighting against what people's experience of Shakespeare has been in, in the past a little bit. So to then see it so alive and vibrant and full of yeah. songs and visual language and connecting with the audience and comedy, it, it kind of opens it up to more, to, to a wider audience, I hope. And making it less kind of academic and less really, yeah. Because I had a conversation on, on this podcast with, do you know Siobhan Lynn Brennan? She, um, she's an emerging director um, and she, she um, studied at work like yourself and she was saying that we've got, we've got a, we've got a kind of de-academicised. Shakespeare and treat it for what it is. It's a play. It's meant to be performed and to be seen. It's not meant to be analysed to death. It's yeah. a play. Yeah, I completely agree. And I am, not, although I went to university and all this, way, I'm not an academic. I don't do well with writing stuff down. It, it's not the way that I can express myself particularly well. You know, I'm, I, I, I it's not. It doesn't work for me. So in a way, that's why the, the, the work that I create is quite is so big and visual because that's what works for me. That's what I understand. Uh, this physical stuff works for me, so that's mm. what I tend to put on the stage. Um, but but you're right, things are plays, and they should change, and they should morph, and they yes. should you know not be stuck in one one specific way of doing it. And I have a real problem. I'm going to get off my soapbox in a minute. I don't know if you saw, but the Globe streamed the production of Hamlet this week on YouTube. And, oh, did that? Uh, did you see it? Yeah, uh, the actor who was playing Guildenstern was a BSL user. And I thought that was fantastic to have a deaf, deaf actor at the Globe. That's the kind of progress we need. Um, oh, oh, really good. I want to ask you about how you think the perception of disability arts and maybe disability in general has changed since you formed Taking Flight and are there still misconceptions that you've got to kind of battle against as a company? <laughs> minute and then you know, add it on but it's it's becoming more common now that people are starting to think about it earlier 
largely do down to now um, Arts Council Wales really pushing, and Arts Council England as well, obviously, but um, Arts Council Wales really pushing the inclusion and access side of things and making things more accessible for everybody. And I think that that, that we've responded to that really positively. Um, and I think more people are considering working with deaf and disabled performers. I don't think it's happening enough yet. It, it is happening mm. more. I mean, we've had some fabulous productions like the last five years and all of that that's been that's um, been that's been happening in Wales. Um, and then, quote unquote, kind of mainstream theatre. These are not kind of. This is a group of disabled actors doing a play, or this is a play by by a disabled writer. It's just yeah. this is a play which features a deaf actress written by someone with a physical impact. You know, it's not kind yeah, of disability theatre. sometimes but we don't we don't promote it in that mm. way because that's not the most that's not the most the driving force in, in in the production the production is a high quality yes production that happens to be inclusive and happens to have access at the start at the heart of its creative process it's not like it's not exactly what you were saying you're just echoing what you're saying and so the more we see um this in mainstream the the more it it becomes commonplace, and and that's that's really exciting. And I do think it's happening. I do think it's starting to happen. I think it's slow, but um, it's positive. I the, think the ground's fertile for it. I agree. I think there's definitely an upward trajectory there. Um, are there are there still kind of misconceptions that you face as a company? work mm. um, I think that's that's tricky that's hard that's hard to do and I think I think the conversations are starting to happen more between the companies and the venues but uh, I think that the there's still a bit of a preconception of what work for deaf and disabled artists will be mm-hmm. uh, and you know like venues going well who do we promote it to and you're like well everybody yeah <laughs> you know it does yeah. it's inclusive so yes let people know that it's not what it's no. about at all. So I think that's a big learning that we've got going on. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, can we talk about You've Got Dragons, which was a lovely show that you did. Yeah. Um, and you adapted the book with with Sam Bees, is that right? I did, yeah. What, what, was, yeah, um, so... what was that process like? So to speak, uh, there. 
so I really believed that it had. And, and Beth uh, came to see the show, and she really recognised um, how poignant it was and how much was talking about uh, mental health, particularly mental health in young people. And so kind of the thoughts kind of pondered around for a little while, and then we um, started to develop it a bit more, and we did some R&D, and out of that mm-hmm. R&D, Sam and I then scripted, uh, did a, a draft script, really, um, for the first time it went out. And that was using a lot of the words that came from the actors, but also a lot of words came directly from the book. A lot mm-hmm. of the words that are in the show are Catherine. But my children have just been reading the picture book uh, over the time we've been in lockdown, and they kept looking at me and going, Dan Lawrence is fantastic at what he does. about kind of mental health, a kind of metaphor for um, anxiety and um, do you feel that that's a good way to kind of introduce really young audiences to those types of themes and open up kind of conversations in a very kind of early way about mental health and that sort of thing? Yeah. 
workshops that we created, the dragon taming workshops, were really practical, creative ways to look at you know combating anxiety, mm. uh, which like things like making a glitter jar and looking, thinking about your breathing, and that was was developed and ran alongside the show, and again would you know would kind of settle out um, as we went, um, and we toured all over, all over with New Court Dragons, um, and. Uh, hopefully it will be back again soon. Mm-hmm. But you know the, the feedback we had from the, the show and the workshop was were really o- overwhelming. Actually, it's really, really good when you can see that you made 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 an impact or made someone think in a different way. Um, and I, I, I haven't seen the show, but if if it tours again, I would love to come see it. Um. Now, very excitingly, this January, Taking Flight's youth theatre started, which is a youth theatre for deaf and hearing impaired children and young people, um, which is based at the Wales Millennium Centre in Cardiff. So, how did you decide to start the youth theatre, firstly? Inspiring. 
we've ever done and the young people that come to the youth theatre are absolutely phenomenal mm, and they continue yeah. to to yeah i mean you know you you volunteer for us um I, I do, um, just the atmosphere in that room is fantastic, just the joy in that room and when you see those young people just enjoying themselves, exploring uh, and doing things that they wouldn't otherwise have had access to if it wasn't for taking flight. It's an amazing thing that you've created an atmosphere like that in what, about 10 weeks? Roughly, is it? Since it's, it's yeah. amazing. That, that amount of time. But, I mean, that Steph and Anna and all the volunteers you've created, that is just, it's phenomenal. You know, we've, we've set it up, uh, and but it has flown and grown mm. because of the people who are running it, and they are absolutely phenomenal. Oh. Very, very lucky to have all of you. And what are your future aspirations for... The, the youth theatre, how do you see it kind of growing and expanding? I think the young people would be able to answer that better than me. Okay. I think the future of the youth theatre, I mean, it, it's, it's funded by BBC Children in Need for three years, so um, it's, it's secure for a certain amount of time, and it, I think the young people will dictate the future of where that, where that, that goes. Mm and we will do everything that we can to enable where they wanted to go for yeah. them to go there. And, and the future of taking flight more generally? Um, well, it's difficult talking about the future. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> to someone who's just starting out in the industry? Um, right now, it's 
you know, it's like if we think about what's happening right now, it's a yeah. really tricky time to be thinking about starting out. Um, it will get easier. You know, we just get through this bit, and it it will it will get easier. But uh, taking the lockdown out of out of the equation, my uh, my advice would be to see as much theatre as you can, to read as many plays as you can, to access any free resources that you can, do workshops, chat to people, um, you know, keep personally developing stuff and new skills, and don't see an audition rejection as a rejection of you, because it isn't. It's a lot more complicated than that, and I know it. it it's just really important that people know that it, it's very rarely down to not being good that you don't yeah. get a job. It, it's down to who works best together in this way or that way. And, and, and I know from being an actor how hard that is to understand from the outside, but it's really, really true. So don't let those knockbacks become a personal thing. And you enjoy an audition as a way that you can show your show the best of you because that's what a director wants. They want to see the best in you. They don't want to see you mess. Not there to trick you. They want you to do your best. So just go in there and just love that opportunity. And when you have a job, enjoy it and don't always worry about the next one. Thank you. Because yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's what I'd say. Thanks, Elise. That was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.